Hello, and welcome to another episode of At Any Rate. I'm your host, Natasha Kanova, and I head JP Morgan Global Commodities Research. Today, we want to discuss commodities markets following the sudden failure of two banks in the United States. Uh, so clearly, the situation in the market is forcing a rethink about the health of the broader economy and, in general, uh, the health of the commodities markets. I'm joined today by Greg Shear, who heads our Basin Precious Metals Research, as well as Shika Chaturvedi, who heads our Natural Gas Research. Greg, Shika, welcome. Great, thank you. Uh, so following the news of the sudden failure of SV Bank and Signature Bank, uh, Brent oil price lost almost $14, uh, $14 or 14% of its value over the last 10 days. Uh, so on Wednesday, Brent settled at, uh, at about just under $74. That's what was uh, trading today. And WTI uh, is at about $66. So that's the lowest level since December 2021. Uh, for comparison, over the same period, uh, S&P 500 slumped only about 3.5%. Copper prices edged down 3.3%. Today, they're up, actually, the, yes, on the day. Uh, she can your markets, natural gas prices in both Europe and U.S. were largely flat. Uh, gold stands out as an outperformer, up about 7%. Uh, so, Greg, the first question to you, considering the performance of the gold price, uh, so, you know, clearly this amplified financial stress and Macro uncertainty has boosted safe haven demand for gold and silver, uh, rebasing prices sharply higher. So we have upgraded gold and precious metals to a buy in our annual outlook last November. So gold today is trading right at about uh, $1,950 per ounce. Is there more to go? Uh, yeah, uh, we definitely think so. Um, we think essentially the, the biggest potential, what you would think is the biggest potential headwind for gold could be safe haven uh, buying or, or flight to quality buying uh, pushing up the U.S. dollar. But what we actually see there is that during these periods of financial stress, that that typical inverse negative correlation um, breaks down. Uh, now, temporarily, but you see essentially gold higher along with the USD strengthening as well. And so from mm -hmm. that perspective, we don't really think that's a significant headwind as we look forward. Um, what we're seeing here is positioning's relatively light. We don't think you've seen a, a, a major stretch in valuations at the moment. Uh, we're sitting right at a, a technical level here where if we were to break above would, would potentially change um, change the calculus going forward. So in the very near term, um, we think that as long as this continues to roil under the surface and we, we see, you know, additional updates, you know, regarding uh, financial stability and, and additional banking sector volatility, that this is something that can definitely support gold as we, we look to the, the balance of this year. Um, we have something like uh, a 1930 and 1980 uh, average price forecast for 2Q and 3Q before we break above $2,000 uh, per ton or sorry, per, per ounce as we get to the fourth quarter of, of 23. And I think when we wrote about it this week, we're thinking that actually the higher prices we see later in our forecast horizon could actually be coming earlier than we expect as, as the market kind of prices in Fed cuts here earlier than, than anticipated. Mm -hmm. So, Greg, in, in your opinion, is the performance is it just concentrated now or you know, is this year's performance? Because Timing the transition from resilience to contraction is not easy, yes, and uh, the JP Morgan's bias remains for a mild recession later, 
later this year, yes, late this year, maybe early next year at the higher rate. So Mike Ferroli, our U.S. economist, he has two more 25 basis points hikes uh, this year. So this means that gold south performance should extend beyond this year, or is it a very concentrated performance, you know, for the next couple of months? No, we think that this is a, a st- structural long-term bullish play. Um, from my perspective, yes, you you are seeing some of it being priced in immediately now because of the financial stress. But when we look forward, um, you know, we uh, the base case, even with the Fed on pause, is for additional moves lower in U.S. 10-year real yields. Um, if we were to get Fed cuts, which, you know, for instance, the market is pricing in in the second half of 23 at the moment, they're pricing in almost around 75 basis points of, of Fed rate cuts. Um, when we've seen historically, when the Fed's cut, it, 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 at least the last couple of cycles, it's gone down to zero. And so from that perspective, um, this is something that we really think is in the offing and uh, eventually, maybe not uh, immediately, but in the, the next two years. And from that perspective, opens up much more upside. For instance, when we see gold's typical performance around the the last three Fed cutting cycles, uh, gold essentially rallied on average about 4% in the six months leading up to the first Fed rate cut and about uh, 15% in the six Mm -hmm. months after the initial rate cut. So this is something, and it's quite consistent despite the U.S. dollar doing different things over different cycles. And and even when we look at recessions, um, it's a very similar dynamic in that gold prices, you know, gained about 9% in the six months leading to the start of a U.S. recession, which typically lags that initial rate cut and then goes on to gain another 14% on average uh, in the six months post uh, the start of a U.S. recession. So um, this is kind of more of a play of thinking there is going to eventually be an end to this cycle and that gold is the the major standout beneficiary of that. I, I think, you know, switching back to oil, Natasha, you were talking at the top of the call about the significant underperformance in oil. You know, we've only seen a few percentage points lower. Yeah, albeit volatile in metals, but oil down quite dramatically. Uh, you know, why is that the case? Mm-hmm. So, Greg, I, I think it's as simple as oil demand is being repriced. So uh, in my mind, uh, China is metals, U.S. is oil. And if China performs well, especially that's visible this year, metals do well, but oil doesn't react. But if U.S. is not doing well, that's where the reaction comes in the oil price. Why? Because U.S. is one quarter, you know, like slightly over 20 percent of the global oil demand. Um, so. It, it does appear, at least, you know, the feedback we're receiving from the clients is that everybody is now recalculating their demand assumptions. So we've seen from major consultancies their demand grows as much as 2 million barrels per day, 2.3, 2.5 million barrels per day. Those are the numbers that we're seeing. Um, so in our view or baked into our price forecast is a still healthy global oil demand growth. We're using our economists view that the recession will be later, but overall for this year, we have about 1.7 million barrels per day growth. Uh, all of that, well, three quarters of that is coming from Asia. Two thirds of that would come from jet fuel. The rest would be coming from you know, from the region like Middle East, uh, Mexico to some extent. So in our numbers, we're neutralizing Europe and United States. So we're giving pretty much a flat demand growth this year, which is in line with, with, with the view on the economy. Um, so again, what matters immensely, and I think that's what the market is try- trying to figure out at the moment, is that the shape of recession matters immensely. 
Um, so when we looked at the data going back to the 1960s, what we discovered is that outside of the COVID-induced recession of the 2020, the magnitude of the loss in demand during the two financial crises, or like the banking crisis, yes, we had the savings and loan crisis in the 1980s, then the GFC, it seems to be two to three times larger than during non-financial-led uh, related recessions. So what that means is that if the recent events cascade through the U.S. regional banking sector and then into the broader economy and we move into a recession, which will be like a banking-led recession, that would result in about 1 million barrels per day drop in oil demand versus our 1.7 million barrels per day growth. So the swing of almost 3 million barrels per day. So that would be enough to drag Brent oil price into the 40s. So hence, I think that's exactly what the market is right now trying to figure out what is what is happening with the U.S. demand. Yeah, sure. And I guess, you know, our price forecast has has largely been tracking here in, in the first quarter. But if we look today, you know, the Brent price is at $74 a barrel. That's well below uh, our target at the moment for 2Q, which is which is 89. Uh, right. What are your thoughts on how do we get there? What what are your assumptions on prices in 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 the next couple of quarters? Yes, you're absolutely correct, and you know clearly uh, this is a worry of mine. Uh, so something to keep in mind that our pass to 89 dollars in the second quarter assumes or assumed yes when we put our uh, report in November outlook for this year is that so our assumption was that there will be two policy actions that would take place in the first quarter yes to get to 89 in in the second quarter um, so there's the certainly reference in our uh, forecast so the first time when we ran the numbers just based on supply demand we came up with the first quarter price forecast of about 78 dollars so that was last November so we assume there will be the price will be low enough there will be two policy reactions one is that uh, the DOE will step in and start purchasing um, the, the SPR, refilling the SPR, because the prices would be hitting those levels where they feel comfortable doing them. And the second one, our assumption was that OPEC will uh, step in and would have to cut about 400 KBD effective, about 1 million barrels per day nominal cut, which has to happen in the first quarter to get us to the pass of those prices. So at the moment, uh, personally, we see little changes in the fundamentals. Uh, so we inclined to write out this financial sector volatility. So we decided to keep our prices unchanged for now, uh, but we're awaiting updates on potential policy actions in the coming weeks. So the main target or the main date to watch is April 3rd. So the OPEC plus advisory, which is not the policymaking joint ministerial monitoring committee would be, uh, would, would be meeting there. Uh, so we would be waiting to see what uh, what they will say at that particular meeting. Um, so in the U.S., the DOE actually, yes, of course, we're watching for the news, but at least the announcement today uh, from the U.S. administration was that uh, so far or for now, they're not considering uh, repurchasing. Uh, so they, they will be waiting. So like April 3rd, I, I would say that's the date to watch. Um, so Shika, moving to you. So your markets seem completely immune to all the calamities in the world. Um, <laughs> flat price action, yes, from both yeah. Europe, European gas and the U.S. gas. Uh, why is that? 
Yeah, you know, it, 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 I mean, I think over the past decade, I've been asked that question quite a bit. But ultimately, I think, though, in this particular case, it has to do with the fact that we are in such extreme situations in both the U.S. and the European market. So the European market right now is dealing with its own supply and demand fundamentals. It's clearly oversupplied right now. Um, there is not a lot of risk in the market. So risk on and off is very difficult to uh, kind of kind of see the movements on a day-to-day -day basis. And I'll have to say the intersection of all of this crisis that's going on right now and that's manifesting in the banking space, really for the natural gas market would be industrial demand. And right now, because of what happened in natural gas prices last year, industrial demand is at a limited point in the European market already and probably further supported in the U.S. market because of the lack of the industrial demand in the European market. So I would say that the the balance is just not there and it's not enough right now to really rejigger any supply and demand fundamentals. And therefore it's difficult to kind of price what's happening. And so I think the market for sure seems a little bit confused on how to handle this right now. Okay, so European gas. Um, so all the contemporaneous indicators we're seeing out of China and today uh, China announced policy cuts as well. Um, uh, actually, one of the biggest surprise for me was yesterday when I was looking at the statistics about the, the dry Baltic uh, shipping index. It's up 180% since since it bottomed in February. So it does appear that China is indeed uh, reopening in earnest at the moment. So what should we expect for the European gas in summer then? So I think, you know, what's interesting about China from a natural gas demand perspective is, yes, we are starting to see kind of that pickup in industrial demand. And I think that the indicators are very much there. Um, but the point is, is that China also decided to take in more Australian coal and they're taking it in through all of their ports right now. So they are certainly seeming to try to keep flexibility and variability in their port portfolio of energy, different fuel sources that they're using so that they're not caught in a situation where they're competing with the European market, which is very mm -hmm. heavily in the LNG market to pay extraordinary prices again. And so I still believe that Chinese LNG demand is likely to look like it's still within their long-term contracted agreements and their reach in the spot market is going to be limited this year. But certainly we need to watch for it particularly in the summer period and what it, you know what that demand will look like because we continue to believe that this flat curve structure in European prices is just not reflecting any price premium or any risk premium out there uh, that really exists right now, including weather. And so um, you know we're looking for higher prices in the summer period, particularly in the back half of summer. And, and we would expect that, you know, in part, some of that has to do with the fact that China is starting to get back into it, its grind and, 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 and its rhythm. Mm -hmm. Thank you, Shika. Uh, Greg, Shika, thank you so much for joining me today. Um, thank you all to listening to the Commodities Edition at JP Morgan's At Any Rate podcast. Uh, we look forward to continue the conversation next week. This communication is provided for information purposes only. Please refer to JP Morgan Research Reports related to its content for more information, including important disclosures. 2023, JP Morgan Chase & Company, all rights reserved. This episode was recorded on March 17, 2023.